We're here in the middle of our study of Genesis. We're in chapter 27. We'll begin reading in verse 1. When Isaac was old, his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went into the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and my command to you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare them delicious food from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. You shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. Mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. His mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. The skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She put the delicious food and bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Verse 27. So Jacob came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of the heaven and the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be everyone who blesses you. The old man lived in a village, he was poor and so was everyone else, and yet he was famous. And the reason he was famous is because he had a white horse that everybody lusted after. They all wanted that horse. In fact, people came from other towns to buy that horse. They offered fabulous sums of money, but the old man wouldn't sell. One morning he woke up and the horse was gone. When the villagers heard of it, they came to him and said, You stupid old man, you should have sold that horse. We knew one day someone would come and steal it. The old man said, Don't say such things. Only say that the horse is not in the stable. That's all we know. The people jeered at him, You foolish old man. The simple fact is your horse is gone. 
and that's a curse. The old man said, whether it's a curse or not, no one can say. You only have a fragment of information. You're drawing conclusions on it. You don't know, and neither do I, what will happen next. The villagers laughed at him and said, he should have sold the horse. He could have lived off the proceeds the rest of his days. Instead, he lives hand to mouth. He only has one son, and they spend all of their time cutting timber and dragging it out of the forest. What a dumb old man. Two weeks later, the horse returned. It hadn't been stolen. It had run off into the forest, and when it came back, it had a dozen wild horses with it. Villagers came to the old man and said, you know, you were right. This wasn't a curse. This is a blessing. You've got 12 wild horses and the beautiful one. Please forgive us. The old man smiled and said, there you go again. Only say the horse is back with 12 others. Whether it's a blessing or curse, nobody knows. Instantly, some thought maybe the old man's right, but deep down, everybody there thought he's wrong. We know a blessing when we see it. Within a couple of months, he'll have domesticated horses to sell, and he'll be wealthy. The next day, the man's son began to break those wild horses. He tried to break three of them, and the third one broke him. It threw him off, and he broke both of his legs. The villagers came back when they heard it and said, those wild horses weren't a blessing, they were a curse. Now your, own, your only son has two broken legs and he's the only one to help you. You're poor and now you're going to be poorer. The old man sighed and said, what am I going to do with you? Who knows whether his legs being broken is a curse or a blessing? All you have is a fragment. All we know is that my son, my only son, has two broken legs. A few weeks later, a war broke out. All the young men of the village were called to go to war. And yet this man couldn't because he had two broken legs. Villagers came back and said, and this time they were weeping and through tears they said, there's little chance that any of our sons will ever make it home again. You were right, old man. Your son's accident was a blessing. His legs may be broken, but our sons are gone forever. The old man shook his head and said, you've learned nothing. Only say that your sons have gone off to war and mine hasn't. That's all we knew. You know, the old man's right. Whether you're a graduating senior or a senior citizen, the truth is every one of us makes conclusions based on a fragment or two. We're all in the habit of that. And every one of us can testify to the fact that what looks like terrible cursing on one page of your life, on the next page, turns out to be amazing blessing. That's the way it is with our lives. That's the way it is with the Bible. There are those who come to this chapter, and we only read a portion of it, and they draw the wrong conclusion. 
Let me give you an example of one Bible commentator that draws the wrong conclusion. He says this, though chapters 24 and 25 reveal a lot about Rebekah and her son Jacob, it's chapter 27 that really opens up our eyes. Here our sympathy should be focused on Isaac and Esau. They are the victims of a shrewd, maneuvering woman. That's his conclusion based on a fragment. Because when you look at this story more closely, when you dig more deeply into it, you will come to a fuller, richer, compelling conclusion than that. You see, when it comes to the things of God, we don't just have one page or two. We have the whole Bible that we can place on every chapter and every verse as an inverted pyramid. And therefore, we can base our conclusions on more than one little fragment. You know, on the face of it, chapter 27 seems to be a record of lie and deceit. On the surface, it's a morality play where the father Isaac and the older son Esau are victims of the villainy of Rebekah and Jacob. But God never calls us to linger at the surface. He never calls us to make moral conclusions based on our own prejudice. He calls us to go deeper. He calls us to assemble the fragments. He calls us to go deeper than the casual Christian and the typical Bible commentator. He calls us to go deep to discover what He's saying to you and me about our lives and His control over them. You know, down here, you don't get the title of the sermon. Here it is, Assembling the Fragments. Let's dig in. First of all, notice the decision. Look at verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could no longer see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. Now, when the Bible says that Isaac was old and he could no longer see, he's not just talking about his physical eyesight. He's talking about his spiritual aptitude. He's talking about his spiritual eyes. I mean, think of it. For for 77 years, he has known that those twins are the product of divine intervention. For decades, his wife was barren. She was considering herself and others considered her cursed of God. No children. Then Isaac begins to pray that the Lord might open her womb, and he does, and she conceives twins. And as soon as they're born, the Lord says to Rebekah and to Isaac, the older will serve the younger. He's known that for 77 years. And yet here at a time when he thinks he's going to die, he calls the older son to receive the blessing that was intended for the younger. Look what he says to him. Behold, I'm old. I don't know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, go out into the field and hunt game for me. Now some translate this field, open country. 
And whether it's field or open country, in the Bible, generally when you see fields or open country, the reference is to the world. So here Isaac, the father, sends his oldest son Esau into the world in order to gain his blessing. And what's he to do in the world? He's to gain by hunting wild meat so that a stew can be prepared so that Isaac in his old age can satisfy his deepest craving. So get this. He sends his son, his favored son, into the world to get what he wants so that son can get what that son wants. Does this sound familiar? This is the same kid that sold his birthright to his brother because he was starving. And now his father lusts after the same thing. Second, notice the demand. Look at verses 3 and 4. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, go out into the field, hunt game for me, prepare for me delicious food such as I love, bring it to me so that I may eat and my soul may bless you before I die. Now, before we go any further in the story, I want to ask you a question. Do you know how old he is? Do you know how far from death he is? Is he hours from death? Is he days from death? Is he weeks from death? No, he's 43 years from death. Have you ever met anybody like that? They're all they want to tell you is your aches and pain. I'm going to die. You don't hear from them for years, and all of a sudden you, you see their death notice. It's 40 years later. This guy's not ready to die, and yet he thinks he's going to die. That sort of symbolizes, doesn't it, the self-focus that we often have. See, the issue here is an age. The issue is his position. He is the father. He is the one to pass along the blessing of God to a son. Griffin Thomas once said, Isaac was an ordinary son of an extraordinary father. What's more, he's an ordinary father of a great son, Jacob. And the reason he says it is because he looks at the record of his life. I mean, think of Isaac. As a child, his brother insults him, and yet he doesn't retaliate. As a young man, his father ties him up and puts him on a, a pyre of wood. He's going to be a burnt offering, and he makes no objection. As a groom, he lets his mother pick his bride. As a wealthy man, he lets the whim of pagans determine where he'll live. There is no boldness in him. He's a bit of a wimp. There's nothing that marks him as extraordinary except his position in the line of the Messiah. I mean, think of this. He is the son of Abraham. He's the father of Jacob, and yet he's willing to put his own interests above the interests of God. He knows what God has said to him. For 77 years he's known it. He is to give the blessing to his youngest son, and yet he doesn't want to do it. He wants to do the opposite. He wants Esau to be the son of the promise. You know why? Because Esau is the son after his own heart. He wants wild game. 
He wants a meal from the guy who sold his birthright for a meal. Do you see this? In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is talking about the enemies of grace, and he says this, their minds are set on earthly things, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and that's exactly what we see here. Third, notice the denial. Look at verses 6, 8, and 9. Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command. Go to the flock, bring me two young Good young goats, so that I may prepare them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. Now, those two words, good and young, are one word in Hebrew. They're actually the same word used to describe Rebecca before she was married. Good and young. You want a little little translation? Fair in form. Beautiful in appearance without any spot or blemish. Do you know what that means? What Rebecca is telling Jacob to do is to go out into the chosen flock of God. In the same way she was chosen out of the flock of God because she was good and young and beautiful. He is to now choose from the flock of God so that he might receive a blessing. So think of it. While Esau prepares a meal by himself, the meal that is accepted is the one that is prepared by another. You see how these fragments are beginning to come together? Fourth, notice the dress. Look at verses 15 and 16. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. And you re- when you read the balance of the chapter, you quickly see the contrast between the two sons. While Esau comes before his father in his own clothes, Jacob comes before his father in the clothes of another. In fact, when Jacob comes before his father, not only is he wearing his brother's clothes, he's wearing the skin of animals, the skin of the sacrifice. See, on the surface, this is a story of trickery and and deception, but it's far more than that. It's a picture of our standing with God. It's a picture of what the Heavenly Father does for each one of us. All over the world and all over the church, there are Esau's who are trying to earn the favor of God. There are those who are trying their best through religious doings, through obedient actions, to earn a standing with God by pursuing their own obedience. And yet the message couldn't be clearer. It can't be done. You will never receive the blessing of your Father in heaven by what you've done. It has to be earned by another. Look what happens in verse 26. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near and kiss me, my son. Do you see the intimacy? And there in the presence of food and drink, the blessing is given. But notice, it's not ordinary food. It's not simply a sacrifice 
along with the sacrifice, is also bread and wine. They're the same two substances that Melchizedek brings out to bless Isaac's father, Abraham, in chapter 14. Here in the presence of bread and wine, the father blesses the son. This is the second communion in the Bible. This is the second time God's blessing and God's choice and God's favor and God's grace is given, bestowed in the presence of wine and bread. And lest we think that Abraham received the blessing of God because of his own goodness, the Bible quickly follows with a story of Jacob who's a downright scoundrel. He too receives the blessing because he comes clothed in the clothing and skin of another. You know why the Bible gives us two views of communion so early in the Bible? I mean, 27 chapters is not a long time when you think of the whole Bible. You got two communions, two blessings. And the reason Jacob is portrayed to us as he is is because he is you and me as we stand before God and receive his grace and blessing. Not just once, but every day of our lives. The people of the village come and say, old man, you were right. Your son's legs were broken and that was a blessing. The old man replies, are you nuts? You're always drawing conclusions based on a little fragment. Aren't you glad that when God gave us the Bible, He didn't just give us a fragment? He didn't just give us some moralistic principles, some moral stories of how we ought to be. This isn't the story of cunning. This isn't the story of victims and villains. This is the story of grace and glory that's never found in us before the cross or afterwards. It's the story of grace and glory that's found in the face of unmerited, undeserved, unsolicited favor of a God who's willing to die, who's willing to dress us in His own skin, who's willing to bless us with His blessings, His riches of glory, and who's willing to send us out as a testimony to the world that while we're no good, He's absolutely good and gracious. It's baccalaureate Sunday. It's a time when we are able to extend a blessing to graduating seniors. What a perfect time to remind ourselves that our Father, who blesses us every day, never bases His blessing on our own earnings, but on the earnings of His Son, Jesus, who not only is our Savior and Lord, He's the one who dresses us every day. And that's why the Father can say to us, come, give me a kiss. 
I will never cast you out. You are my beloved child. Think about that. Amen.